Welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I am the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 22 and is from the service for December 17, 2023. The scripture lessons are Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 4a to 11 and Luke chapter 1 verses 45 to 55. And the sermon is entitled, Mary, Mother of God, SJW. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight uh, comes from the, um, from, well, two lessons for tonight. Uh, the first comes from Isaiah chapter 61, beginning at the first verse. And then the second comes from the gospel according to Luke. Our first lesson from Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 45 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage that we just heard read is known as the Magnificat. It is called that because in Latin, the, the translation of my soul magnifies the Lord is Magnificat Anima Dei. And this, the, the poetry of this passage has been long remarked on. In fact, it is one of the more beautiful passages in terms of art that is inspired music, as we heard a little bit before. The hymn that we will sing next is also inspired by the same text. And it has created many, many beautiful artistic expressions. In the Franco Zeffirelli miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth, there is a fantastically shot scene where a young um a young Mary, played by uh, Olivia, now I'm blanking on her name. She was, uh, anyway, I'll remember it in a second. Uh, but she, she is wearing the very traditional sort of blue hood with the white undergarment, and there's a beam of light streaming in from the window, and she bows low to the ground, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I am the handmaiden of the Lord, and and it's this beautiful statement of her willingness to receive this blessing from God to carry the Messiah. And it is often remarked upon how much um, how much the, these prayers of Mary, both when she meets Elizabeth and hears that Elizabeth is with child, even though Elizabeth is barren, um, the child that will grow up to be John the Baptist, and in her own Annunciation, that these are often seen as her pious acceptance of God's calling for her to be the mother of the Messiah. And of course, that's not untrue, it certainly is that, but there's something more about it that often goes overlooked, something about the nature of what she says itself. Scholars have long noted that the Magnificat prayer bears a resemblance to the song of Hannah from the Old Testament, when Hannah is told that she will have a child, and that child will become a prophet for God the prophet Samuel, she too utters a, a song, if you will, that is not unlike the Magnificat. And this is not surprising because this is the kind of thing that Luke likes to do in his gospel. Luke often connects Jesus's story to Israel's story through a kind of illusion. That is, whereas Mar or sorry, Matthew is very fond of quoting the Old Testament. This was done in order to fulfill the words of the prophet that, and you'll see that formula repeated throughout Matthew's gospel, lots of kind of proof texting. Luke does a, a sort of a more subtle approach. He evokes the spirit, the feeling, the tropes of the Old Testament often. For example, the story 
of Elizabeth and Zecharias who are childless and cannot have a child and then find themselves expecting a child who will become John the Baptist itself evokes Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac, right? And it also evokes Jacob and Rachel and the birth of Joseph, right? And so there are these echoes that are often found in Luke's account that suggest the Hebrew Bible accounts of the patriarchs, of the prophets, and so on. And so this literary allusion to the Song of Hannah has a similar effect. It grounds the reader in, in feeling that the story is very much a continuation of Israel's story, and at the same time evokes the lessons of that earlier story into the gospel story. And what is that earlier story but the story of a prophet, one of the first prophets who will call for righteousness and justice, who will be the prophet who, who anoints King David, who ushers in a whole kind of prophetic tradition that will follow Israel for generations to come. And so we often focus, when we look at Mary's words, we often focus on the part where she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, and we think how lovely this pious reflection is until we get to the part where she says, he has cast down the mighty from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. God has fed the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is the kind of thing that helps us to understand that Mary is not simply taking on a pious, holy role as bearer of God's chosen one. She understands the context that that chosen one is meant to serve. That is that prophetic call to a radical kingdom that will upend the world as we know it. That very ethic that Jesus will preach throughout his ministry, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Whoever would be greatest among you must be least among you and slave of all this inversion where those who are on the bottom are exalted and those who exalt themselves are brought low, Mary gets it. She gets it from the very beginning. She knows that what she is called to do is not simply to be the birth vessel for Jesus, but that she is part of this mission of God, this holy mission that the prophets had long proclaimed that the hope for the ex for the Messiah was rooted in was the establishment of justice for the people, the transformation of the world itself from the top-down powers that be to a raised-up dignity for all of God's children. The prophet Isaiah we read in second well second Isaiah we read in the that passage from Isaiah earlier talks 
about um, I am the Lord and I love justice. Now, those of you who've been to Bible study know that love and hate in Hebrew often mean love and hate, but they just as often mean prefer and reject. And so when God says, I love justice, what God is saying is, I am on the side of justice. I am on the side of ensuring that all people have access to the levers of the society, right? That's what biblical justice is. We're, you know, in our society, we think of justice as getting what's coming to you. <laughs> but in the biblical world, justice meant that all people would have a share in, in participating in how the society was run, in participating in receiving the fruits of that society, that that was the call from the, from the Sinai covenant on, was to ensure that whether you were a widow or, or orphan, Israelite or foreigner, rich or poor, you all had equal access to the things that life afforded, and that was what made Israel, in theory, different from the surrounding cultures. And when they strayed into idolatry, that commitment to justice was often the first thing that got thrown out. So the idea that the Messiah could be waited for, could be anticipated, could even be born without understanding that the Messiah's call was to help establish justice in the world is folly. Mary gets it. Mary understands that it's not just the birth of a sweet little baby in a manger, that it's not just about giving birth to a prophet so she can go to the synagogue and brag, brag to all the other moms that her kid's going to grow up to be really important. It's not about any of that. It's that she knows that this is part of how God's justice will be fulfilled, that the mighty will be cast down from their thrones, that the lowly will be lifted up, that the hungry will be fed and the rich sent away empty, that this reckoning, this justice, this leveling of, of the playing field is part of what the Messiah is expected to bring. There are a lot of people who today will argue that churches have, you know, get lost when they start talking too much about social justice. You're lost if you don't talk about it. It is literally in the marching orders for the Messiah and his mother gets it. Right? That this is not a side thing that some of us do-gooders have decided to add into Christian faith. It is an essential part of Christian faith. It always has been. It was always meant to be and is only removed when people feel threatened by that very troublemaking nature that is the gospel. I mean, there's a reason Jesus runs afoul of the religious and political establishment of his day, because the gospel stirs up trouble. And that's precisely the point that Mary is talking about. When she evokes this image of the God who, who sets things right for the lowly, who knocks down the mighty, who feeds the hungry, she is echoing 
that same God that we find in Isaiah, the one whom the prophet announces, I have come to announce the 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 spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, liberation to the oppressed, comfort for those who mourn, all of that, that idea that this world transforming event is about to happen is implicit in the messianic expectation. And that's what Mary is signing on for. Mary isn't just signing on to be a surrogate mom or a you know a, a, someone to carry a baby to term and then sort of just hand the child off mary is signing on for the whole of the hope of the gospel and she understands too when she says that this is in fulfillment of the promises made to abraham that this is part of the whole tradition, this goes back to the very beginning, that when God called Abraham, God called Abraham to be an alternative community, that his children and their children would create a community that was different from all of the nations around it, that would not be ruled by a powerful elite, but would include all the people, both immigrant and native-born, both rich and poor, and that has been the prophetic call ever since. Because it wasn't easy for Israel to stay on that track. They strayed off it more than they should have. But the prophets called them back. And Mary is one of those prophets, it seems. But she, in her own beautiful and pious acceptance of the task offered to her, frames it as part of the fulfillment of God's hopes, God's desire for justice. See, I know I've mentioned this before, but there's a lot of a lot of what I call sentimental Christianity out there. And sentimental Christianity can be nice, it's fine. But it's not up to the task of doing what it is that we're called to do. Because sentiment can only take you so far. But a commitment to something powerful, a commitment to something world-transforming, a commitment to something that is meant to upend the status quo and to challenge the way we think the world ought to be run is something that is able to drive us through even the darkest days, even the most challenging times that hope and that commitment to that world transforming grace, that love, that justice will get us through. So there will be plenty of opportunity for sentiment at Christmas time. There always is. I mean, I myself love sitting around and listening to Nat King Cole sing the Christmas song. It's one of my sentimental favorites. But let's not sentimentalize Mary. Mary is a tougher chick than we often realize. Mary has committed herself to being a part of the transformation of the world, of taking the mighty down off their thrones, of lifting up the lowly, of feeding the hungry, and sending the rich and powerful away empty. The least we can do is follow her example. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit 
www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.